Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? You know what? That one works. Blake, is there an artist in the music world that you are just such a fanboy of, but you're too embarrassed to admit it? Taylor Swift, immediately. Wait, I just admitted it. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech director out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm your host, Blake Hodges, the only person at the company that feels a sense of pride for knowing when a mixing board is a mixing board and not a lighting board. And I'm here with my boss, who can definitely tell the difference, Toby Walters. Uh, Thanks for that. Yes, I do know the difference between an audio mixing console and a lighting console. Um, So I'm hoping that by the time you work here for three years, you will know the difference. See, if I ever start to learn it, though, the bit won't be funny. I have uh, had a I had a moment in an earlier conversation where Nate said uh, Behringer X32, and I actually had a mental image of it. I just didn't tell anybody. I'm so proud of you. I got it. You're growing up before our very eyes here. I'm trying. Okay, so obviously we buy gear and we sell gear. It's kind of our kind of our thing. I thought we just do podcasts. Well, this is sort of a you know the cherry on the top. Okay. So um, someone local in Nashville saw our reverb store and reached out directly and said, hey, I've got some gear that I need to sell. And we, you know, I've sold it myself for a while. We've sold it. He was a little elusive. Would you guys buy stuff from other people? And I'm like, yes, it's exactly what we do. I mean, our, our thing is church gear. We buy from churches, but occasionally we get approached by individuals, artists, other production companies. Great. So he gives me the list of gear, and it's great stuff. It's like there were a bunch of Nord keyboards and some just really cool synthesizers, some guitar amps, and it was like A-level stuff. And I was like, yes. This is a happy dance list. Yes. I mean, how many you know worship bands that are trying to be the, the cool kids in America need a Nord keyboard on stage? That's why we Every don't get them. Every single one of them. So this person, this gentleman basically told me this – this stuff comes from a production company owned by an artist. I can't tell you the artist, and we'll leave it at that. And I was mm. like, okay. So he gave me the list of gear. I gave him the prices. He said, great, let's do it. So we bought all this you know, wonderful gear. And then about six months later, same gentleman reached out again, said, hey, we've got some more gear. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. This time it was a lot of... Um, there was some like rack gear, preamps, compressors, um, a few of those things, but also a lot of bass pedals for bass guitar. And occasionally we do pedals. We just don't get a lot of them. Like churches aren't, churches don't have closets full of pedals anymore. Churches are not pedaling pedals. They're not typically. They usually have a Kemper with all that stuff built in. Um, so I got it. And again, they elusively said, we can't tell you who the, the artist is, production company, whatever. I was like, hey, it's fine. Like Your gear works. You guys are legit human beings. I'm cool with it. And so they hand me a box, and on the box are two letters, two initials. And before you say it, 
just to clear it with legal, are we allowed to say it? Hey, the box said it. Okay. So the box said T-S. As like T-S. It's like, well, I can think of one T-S. We are in Nashville. In the industry. Um, so that definitely gave me a, um, you know, a clue. And then um, six months later, again, it's kind of like clockwork. And he said, like, we, we take this stuff out on tour. We do one tour with it. And then the next tour, we we upgrade to the next thing, or there's just a different production, whatever it is. So we've got this gear. So um, finally, on the third one, he said, you know what? I'm so tired of just bringing all this gear to you. Can you just come to our warehouse? And so I said, sure. And so he gave me the address, and I went to a large warehouse space and walked into TS Productions. And uh, that was a fun moment to um, there was like a full crew of full time people working in this warehouse that are on, you know, constant paid full time staff of TS. And there's an airplane in there, a literal airplane. And there are just, you know, cases and racks and stuff just filled with just gorgeous gear. Mm. And so in this moment, in, in this purchase, we were buying a whole bunch of Axifex um, units, which are basically Kempers, but kind of a, it's a different company that makes these uh, guitar modeling amps. And this artist band use a ton of these. And then a ton of uh, Focusrite uh, 410 producer packs and just all this beautiful stuff. And... Blake, I know the name Focusrite. It's kind of like twinkling oh, in your mind. I love Focusrite. Every time we get in some rat gear from, from Focusrite, they've got the prettiest gear. Their colors are the uh, most imaginative of all so of So what the was the color units. of the one that you liked? Though? Oh, I loved the red one. The red. So they have a red series. This wasn't the red series. This was the, the blue and yellow series, which again, it's great stuff. They just They have wonderful color schemes. So just a mountain of this beautiful Focusrite gear. That normally, and our guest will tell us a lot about Focusrite today. Oh, good. Uh, normally, the stuff is in the highest end studios in the world, but when you're TS, you get to use whatever you want. So there's all these just like extremely high end audio production preamps, compressors, EQs for their stage racks. Like these aren't even at front of house, they're sitting on stage. Oh, wow. So this is the kind of level of people that, you know, we tend to play with these days. Like, I, we're kind of a big deal. Oh, if only that were true. I mean, TS and TW, we work together. You know, we're, we're just mono we mono like that. I'm going to pass this whole episode's audio through a legal a compressor just to make sure <laughs> we're okay. I didn't disclose anything. All right. Just saying. Is that the story? That's the story. Oh, man. All right. Well... In the blank space that was the air in that moment of my freak out, let's move on to our guest. So now we've got someone sitting in front of us who apparently will talk about TS, although again, I don't know that we can. He's going to talk about Focusrite. He's going to talk about Focusrite. There we go. Um, so let me introduce him. He's got four Grammy wins. He works both in music and audio post-production. He's mixed for, mixed for MWS. Josh Groban and Charlie Daniels. 
Jennifer Nettles asked me to, or this is him. So Jennifer Nettles uh, asked him to take 280 hertz out of her voice in the headphones. And when I told her I couldn't route EQ to her headphones due to signal flow, she stormed out of the room for an hour before resuming. Ooh, you don't want to mess with Jennifer Nettles. I hope that's the lie. Vocal performance major then switched to audio production when he saw his first recording session happen between the producer and the engineer. So that must have been a fun one. does have a beautiful voice. He built a surround system as a high school senior for a theater performance before he knew what surround even was. He's currently mixing an immersive tech, Dolby Atmos, and Sony 360, which is opening up into the live and broadcast avenue. He's uh, his, he's done broadcast mixing, favored over live. Oh, broadcast mixing is his favored over live experience. Okay, so that feels like a red herring. Now introducing Rob Burl. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So normally you don't lie. You told us you, you're a truth teller. Yeah, I don't lie. A little but bit of this, George Washington. In this yeah. moment, you you inserted a doozy somewhere in here. Uh, yes, that's correct. Toby, are we going to uh, get held accountable in heaven for inciting sin on the podcast every episode? Hey, it's their decision to lie. We're just encouraging it. Okay. Oh, I said I couldn't come up with one, and you guys helped facilitate the way to come up with a lie. Ooh. So not only did we make him lie, we taught him how to That's lie. That's right. Teach okay. a liar in the way they shall go. So let's get to this, uh, I mean, four <laughs> Grammy wins. I, I believe it. Like, he's done some legit stuff. Okay, this is your buddy for context. I've just I met know, Rob but today, like, so I'm going to lean on you. Rob doesn't normally sit around just talking about his accolades. Like we and talk about life and only with my family. Yeah, they, yeah, we we talk about it every evening. Is that okay. like a calm app session that just goes takes a right to sleep? Yeah, absolutely. And and she just marvels at the wonder that is me. Yeah, I, I don't think the Grammys are a lie either because they're the, they're at the top. The first thing you put out. <laughs> I know that's yeah, and I I feel like he's. I mean, he usually brings a Grammy with him to church on Sundays to just just carry with him, but I've never seen him with four, but I'd believe it. Um, the better question is if Toby will have any friends left after they're all on the podcast oh, when we make them out not. to be That's this. Fine. I've got so many friends that you it's make them. Overkill. You make the misconception that we are friends indeed. Oh, you know, man. That cuts deep. Yeah, yeah. Man. <laughs> Let's see. He's lying to me, and then he's... Okay. Um, I mean, Josh Groban is a big name. Um, he's never mentioned that to me which I feel like maybe he would have, but maybe he wouldn't. Like he's, I know other artists he's worked with. I know he likes broadcast mixing, I assume, because every time he mixes at church, they stick him in the broadcast room. All right, let's let's cut that one off too. But that one's what definitely if it's, not. What if he actually prefers the live, but he's just no good at it? Okay, okay. Mm, kind of like tricky. me with chess. I'm terrible at it, but I have a lot of fun when I play. I'm going to just guess the broadcast mixing favored over live, because maybe he's just sneaking one in. Maybe he just loves to mix live, but just doesn't get the opportunity as much, okay. because he's been pigeonholed as an artist, as a creative. That is what we talked about, pigeonholing in certain venues, like of getting in, like you're in creative endeavors, suddenly you do two of this one thing and you're stuck there. We talked about that beforehand. Okay, Blake, you got to make a decision. I'm going to go with Jennifer Nettles because he put her on blast. And if that is true, Ooh. then I uh, I can't wait to hear the real story. Okay, there Rob. You go. All right. So here's the reveal. It's part of the Jennifer Nettles story. Oh. That is incorrect. Yeah. All so right. The, the story is I was recording her. And real quick, Rob. Yeah, you, yeah. You made Blake be right. I'm, and this is so disappointing. Is his That's head going to swell? Is he going is, uh, is is to be impossible to work with? Our whole relationship is built on me assuming that Blake is never right, and I'm <laughs> always right. 
Okay. And that's you, how you keep your thumb this on just him. Such just such a disappointment. Keep him yeah. You got to throttle yeah. this much that's enthusiasm. Right. We're not that's friends right. in actuality. Right. Blake is right. right. I mean, so, so okay. there it is. This is the best episode for me so far. That's right. I'm right today. Well, Jennifer Nettles, first, an absolute blast to work with. Uh, of course, we've all heard her voice and Man, there's a lot of voices out there that take some studio work to make them sound like mm-hmm. you hear them in the end. Like she, Adele, you know. Yes, yeah, so she's yeah. no good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jennifer is a rock star and is incredible. So she did indeed ask me after singing the first verse of this song, she said, hey, would you mind taking 280 hertz out of my voice? And I've, yeah, I've got to be honest, you know, in 25, this was 25 years in, I've been doing this for 29 years, 25 years in, I'd never had an artist ask me for a particular frequency to be removed from. I mean, uh, you take 280 out of the kick drum, Well, yeah, out of a voice. And 280 out of her voice. Well, and I have my suspicions uh, that we can talk about as to why that was, but the truth is, I did oblige her. I removed 280. She said, thank you, that's perfect, and we went on to cut the song. Great. Now, did she you did actually remove 280, or did. did you just look like you turned the no, knob like so, engineers So I, I was around 280, but I knew, I knew what she was dealing with. Uh, so singers really love to hear the upper mid-range and top end of their vocal when they're cutting a vocal for two reasons. One is just to be able to hear the articulation. Second is you can really get your pitch center best with kind of the upper mid-range. And so I think probably what she was hearing is a little bit of that warmth in the low mids. It was probably masking a little bit of her pitch center, uh, which she did not have a problem with even before I removed it, by the way. So I pulled out, I, I think I honestly pulled out somewhere in the mid 300s. Okay. But I knew immediately what she was talking about. And whether, my guess also is that somewhere at some point, she had, you know, a live guy took that out of the wedge for her or something. And she said, oh, I like that. What? And so 280 stuck in her mind. I don't think she's, you know, a frequency Which savant. Totally depends on the, the ears she's wearing. It, it very much does. But we also do whatever we need to to make an artist feel comfortable. And the move I made made her feel more comfortable and and therefore she did I'm not happy storm to out. do it. She did not storm out and we cut a killer vocal and had a blast. I mean, our goal today is to get Blake to storm out. That's right. But I can't because well, Toby always keeps his doors locked. That's right. <laughs> well, if you just storm towards the corner and just stand there with your back to us, that's, you know, kind of the same effect. I Luckily, hear that would not make for great audio. And our producer actually takes 280 through 20,000 hertz out of Blake's voice. That's right. Oh, you just, got to. I'm yeah. basically just screaming it, into this. Right. Yeah. Cuts when, it right out. When you were mixing for her, were you mixing at your house? Uh, tell us about your setup. Okay. So, well, so that... I did not record her at my house, but I did mix at my house, and it was at the house that I am not currently in. So, uh, but my current setup, uh, very much the same. Current setup is actually uh, Pro Tools based studio um, with Avid control surfaces, uh, lots of outboard gear. Um, I work in very much a hybrid environment of all digital and lovely mm-hmm. analog as well. Um, and I am uh, a Dolby certified Atmos 
immersive mix room and have just signed a deal with Sony to uh, do their Sony 360 system in my room also. So, so tell us about the Sony 360 system. This sounds interesting. What does that entail? So it is it is their version of immersive and their setup, the quick crash course of Dolby Atmos is based on a 7.1 bed system on the horizontal plane where your ears are. And then there are height speakers. So the basic setup for being able to mix Dolby Atmos is a 7.1.4, which is seven main layer channels, four overhead channels, and then the dot one is the LFE So does that mean you have literally 12 speakers? Oh, I have literally more than that because that's the minimum and I don't Ah. like to do anything the minimum. No, no. No, I actually have an 11.1.4 setup. Okay. So, So currently I have 16 speakers to do, uh, to do Atmos. And I'm just imagining, I remember an episode of the Simpsons where Homer sets up a quad system in his van and is that, you know, is it that basically the same it's thing? It's the same thing system? as quad, you know, yeah. they tried that in the seventies and it didn't work, but Atmos is working. But the, the point of immersive is to let you kind of wrap yourself in music. Now, you know, I do a lot of studio things, but obviously we're, we're talking about live as well. The live music experience is like none other, right? You're in a room hearing music amplified. You have crowd around you. You have um, Jennifer Nettles. Jennifer Nettles. You've got, you know, you've got surfaces that are reflecting sound, and and we can feel this viscerally in our bodies. Now, uh, there are ways to have that same experience with stereo speakers in a listening environment. Um, headphones gets even more difficult because you're uh, you're hearing it, but it's injected straight into your ears. You're not having the same uh, physical experience. But what's amazing with immersive is that even in the headphone version, you suddenly are transported to a space. Which is pretty amazing because music, for me, the whole reason I do what I do, music is an experience. It's an emotion. It's a way that we, you know, we get angry or we relieve our anger. We get happy. We get sad. We I, There's so much to it, the way that we react as humans. And I think that the immersive technologies are something that is just going to make the musical experience even better. So is immersive translating into the live world or there? Yes. So uh, there are both with Dolby and with Sony, uh, there are venues that exist now. There have been clubs in Europe that are Dolby Atmos based. They've Blake been doing that to clubs in Europe at least That's right. once. When you know that when you hop on your jet and you go to the Dolby Atmos clubs... It is immersive. Yeah, it is immersive. I mean, I just get on the church gear jet. We we bought it when we were in that hangar for TS. We said, we'll take your gear and the jet. Thanks, TS. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rob, where'd you get your start? Like, what lit the fire of audio under you? Yeah, so my my start, the background is, you know, grew up in a musical family, not, not professionally, just loved music. And played multiple instruments. So I started singing. I sang in public for the first time. I sang in church when I was two years old, actually. My uh, 
dad set me up on the piano and the pianist played so and like I sang Jessica a Gaither Rabbit song. Style, Sa- like yeah, yes, yes. I right was, on the piano. I was just really late. The red dress. Right out there, stretched right out. Yeah. Licking up all of the glory that I could in church. Um, so, uh, were you like, did your parents say like you were just a naturally born ham? Like you had no problem getting up there and yeah, I, I did not have a problem getting in front of people. Um, I, nerves were not an issue. Uh, I was like, yeah, give me that microphone. Let me, let me add it. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was, it was great. So I sang, I am a promise by the Gaithers. Uh, oh, you got to do some Gaithers. That's right. You have yeah. to. Yeah. Was this, this was, I mean, this was 1975. So, so Friends or Friends Forever was not out yet. No. Friends Friends, Friends or Friends Forever did not exist yet. Yeah, because that but was the song I, you sing. I, yes, but I have that, sung that many times. Um, I've, you know, I've told Smitty that, you know, but I've, <laughs> I've, I have sung it many times prior to me meeting him and working with him. So, um, but spent my entire life uh, playing multiple instruments, uh, played French horn for 17 years, played keys from as early as I could bang on a piano. Um, singing was kind of my main thing, but I also played a few woodwinds and, and played trombone, trumpet, flugelhorn, so I could be in, in jazz band because there's no French horn allowed in jazz band. And uh, so all that took me to college where I went as a vocal performance major because I wanted to be a rock star. Obviously. Um, of course. Why wouldn't it you? doesn't. And I mean, it, Rob, yeah, it's, it's not all as cracked up to be. The, I mean, I, yes. I and you know lies. this. Yeah, know. You know this yes. for a fact. Yes. That, you know, it might be one of the great lies. Yeah. Um, but uh, while I was at college in New York, um, I'm from Maine originally, literally grew up in the middle of the woods, 45 minutes from Canada, uh, grew up in the middle of the woods, a little town of 4,000 people. Went to New York City to go to college. Two of my professors, my uh, my theory professor and uh, our jazz band leader, who was who taught my music business class and a couple other classes I was in, both took me under their wing a little bit. Um, they knew I was passionate about uh, music, and uh, at that point, I was kind of into synth tech which, of course, now revolves around computers, but back sure. in the olden days... Yeah, you could actually turn knobs right, on, you, on a Moog. Exactly. And... We had multiple keyboards with an outboard sequencer that had a little tiny LCD screen, and things happened in real time. And and uh, so I had a, you know, a, a nice little setup. Yeah. Um, Did you have the Insonic? I, no, I didn't have any Insonic. I really wanted, at the time, I wanted their ESQ-1 sampler, but uh, with the floppy disks and with everything. the floppy disks. Yes. I mean, man, if you could store it. But what I had, I had my first real rig was a Kurzweil K1000 okay. SE, uh, which I think was we a literally beast. have one of those in our warehouse right now. They're so great, and they're still they still feel great to play, and they they sounded great. Um, and then I had the the legendary Korg M1. It had just oh, come yeah. out while I was in high school. I mean, it had been out for about a year when I got it. And that kind of changed the game in music production. It changed the game in synths, both in its architecture and the way it worked. It was, it was groundbreaking. But, uh, but anyway, so I was a synth junkie. So these professors said, hey, we're going to, 
let you do some stuff outside of class, come to some sessions with us because they both produced outside of, you know, of teaching. Uh, and then they actually let me have a room in the music building to set up my gear. So I actually did some kind of MIDI seminars and workshops within the music department for them. So that was fun. But one evening, my music business professor told me, look, I know you want to be a rock star, but you should really look at the life of a background vocalist. Now, again, the music industry has changed a lot. This was the, the early 90s. And you could print money in the music business at that time. Obviously, um, it was yeah. it was nuts. Um, it was straight out of Compton. Back yeah, then. pre yes, pre pre Napster, and there was no streaming of music, and you had to buy it, which meant that money was coming in as fast as it was going out. I mean, so. was that when DC Talk was cutting their teeth? So DC Talk, yeah, I mean, they were probably on their third record yeah. at that point, um, and yeah, so it was everything was huge. So he said, they have a really great gig. You've got to be incredibly talented, uh, but it's a great living. So he said, I'm cutting background vocals on an album. You need to come to the session and just, just check it out. And I'd never been in a real studio before. I'd never seen a session happen. Um, I really didn't know how records were made, honestly. Uh, and so I go in that night to Acme Recording Studios in Mamaroneck, New York, where they had just recorded and mixed the Spin Doctors Pocket Full of Kryptonite oh, wow. record, With which the, was massive. The stairwell reverb, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. They they had, you know, the, this studio was was known for some particular sounds that they were able to do because of the way they used the recording space, which again, was something that has kind of fueled me to this day um, in my love for spaces, um, not just gear. But, uh, you know, they had Whitney Houston records on the wall because she had recorded a bunch there. So I, I go in, I'm kind of starstruck walking in. But then I watched the producer and the engineer as they musically and technically guided the background vocalists into what I had heard on records for years. And I thought, oh, it, it just happens. Yeah, it's you easy. Know? Right. It's no problem. I watched that and I've realized that night that that was the perfect blend of music and tech. Mm. And that's what I was made for. And so after wanting to be a singer since I was two years old um, and I was 18 at the time, I said, okay, I want to be on this side of the glass. What do I need to do? So the two professors, you know, kind of told me, well, you, you've got choices. You've got New York, LA and Nashville, because back then that was really all there was. So basically yeah. they kind of pointed me to Belmont where the former, uh, head of the music department at the school I was at had come to Belmont to be the head of the music department of Belmont. And they said, they've just put in a $5 million studio and all this again, that's nothing special these days because sure, every then, community college yeah. even has a studio. But back then, there were maybe four universities in the whole country that had studios. So it was a And was they a were rarity. probably in L.A., New York, yes, and Nashville. Exactly. And yeah. then Full Sail. Full Sail sure. had just come into existence around then. But for non-specific schools, yeah, there just weren't. So transferred to Belmont. 
met Michael W. Smith's engineer co-producer while I was there at school. He kind of took me under his wing and, you know, within a year and a half, I was so busy on sessions that I quit college and there you what? go. That's 20, 20, that is, that is the years dream. Later. That's what? right. That's a the production dream. guy didn't finish college yes, in exactly. order to get into the industry. Exactly. That is shocking. You go yes. to college to be useful. You That's were too right. useful That's to right. be in college anymore. Too. I'm not saying yes. everyone should go to college. I'm saying That's it's right. totally fine to leave when that happens. Yes. And I do not endorse. Okay, Rob. So we, we got a lot of live guys who listen yes. and they're probably kind of judging you a little bit. They're like, yeah, ah, studio world. Like, yes. that's, I don't care. Um, and I know like, when you come to our church and you've been a faithful part of our church for a long time and you're part of the production crew sometimes, yes. they always stick you in that broadcast yes. booth. Is that because you're no good at live because yeah, you can't horrible. do it? Or, horrible. you know, give us the, uh, yeah. is that a, is just different no, skill so, set? So there were a lot of years that I did mix live in that room when, uh, as you know now, our front of house console is on the main floor, the broadcast booth is in its own room, but the front of house console used to be up in the crow's nest. Okay. Up, what up was behind. that console at that point? That was a Yamaha DM2000, which oh. is actually a recording Whoa, console. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a uh, live console. Yes, but it worked great for the way we utilized it up there. And we do have a DM2000 in the warehouse. There you go. DM2000 still sounds amazing, warm and punchy, and like crazy flexible. I mean, what you could do just inside that console was, uh, again, Yamaha was kind of groundbreaking. I, I was on the front edge again of, of digital consoles, the Yamaha O2R, which was the predecessor sure. to the little DM2000. Version. It's where it started. And the Mackie digital eight bus. I was one of the first guys here in Nashville to get my hands on them, learn them. And so I spent a lot of time going around town, teaching people how to use those consoles. So when they put that in, um, and, and I got asked if, if that would be some, a way I'd want to serve. I didn't really want to because I do feel very comfortable in the studio world. That's, that's sure. where I am. Um, Michael W. asked me one time if I would consider going out on the road with him because his longtime engineer was coming off the road. And I politely declined and I appreciated the, you know, the you vote of confidence. You didn't ride around in a bus for no. nine months? Well, I tell you what, there's no better gig than the Smitty gig, I don't think. Uh, uh, he treats his people great, and it's as life and family friendly a touring situation as you'll probably find. Um, but what I told him, I said, man, I appreciate it. But because I've not trained in that world... I'm happy with the mix that I can achieve, but the whole room tuning, the tech behind it, the understanding, the intricacies of walking into a new place every night and, and the conversations that have to happen with the union crew and the electricians like that, I had no idea. And so I was kind of like, I might be able to get the mix good, but I'm doing you a disservice because I am not equipped for this. You don't it, it live just, in that world. Right. It did not feel right. So flip that to uh, to being asked to mix at church. Well, I knew the console well, 
And so I thought, well, there's no setup. The room's tuned. The room's tweaked. That's not something that You know that how to, to take 280 hertz it, That's out right. Of I can take 280. <laughs> when Jennifer Nettles comes that's to right. guest sing at the worship service, I can take 280 out. Watch me. So, um, so basically, that was kind of a gig that I did, you know, once or twice a month for a good handful of, of time. Uh, I took a break actually because our kids got old enough. They got into middle school and they were old enough to help out teaching Sunday school classes. And so we decided to do that all as a family. So and that were you we, teaching MIDI seminars in the kids program at yes, church? Yes, at that yes. Point? We were, I was telling them how to take 280 hertz That's right. out of vocals because yeah. Fisher Price microphones, they have this huge bump right around obviously, 280. And so, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and they're looking at you, why do you have acne? That's right, that's right. Yeah, what's wrong with you, man? That's a lot of advancements nowadays with Fisher-Price. <laughs> yes, they, they're pretty Fisher-Price is on the cutting edge yes, of the MIDI They have uh, the market. best multi-track setup. On and Fisher they make Price. lighting boards too, Blake. Yes. So. Oh, well, then I'm yes. in. That's my guy. So when you're not at church mixing and when you're not uh, teaching the little kids how to take 280 hertz out of a Fisher-Price, tell us about... Uh, broadcast mixing for the CMAs. Yeah, so, okay, so uh, I should clarify this. I actually am not the one mixing the CMAs. I'm oh part of the gosh. mixed team. Yeah, everything. You could just, we, should I just leave now? You, yeah, you're should I just out leave of the now? podcast. Yeah. That's an embarrassment. Yeah. So here's how the CMAs work. Um, and we can, I'm happy to share tech details too, because, you know, we're nerdy like that. But uh the CMAs are mixed, again, much like what we talked about. So I do some broadcast mixing. Again, studio is my forte because it's where I've spent most of my time. So the guys that mix the CMAs are actually legends in the broadcast. My buddy Jay from New York, he has mixed Saturday Night Live's bands almost since the beginning of Saturday Night Live. Never heard of it. Yeah. What show is that? Yeah. What is Sunday that? Night yeah. Live. That's right. Uh, Everyone's uh, sleeping because yeah. you got to get up for service yeah. the next That's morning. Right. But there is a show, a little show called Saturday Night Live that has had... Yeah. So Jay is a... He is a freak, a ridiculous engineer. So there's two components to this. As there is whether you're a lighting guy, whether you're a front of house guy, monitor guy, broadcast guy, studio guy... The people that are leaving you in their hands have to have confidence in you. So uh, Jay, and there's a couple other guys. Jay has been the guy that's been there every year. A couple other guys have come in and out. And again, they're the who's who of live records and live broadcast events. But when Justin Timberlake knows that Jay is in that seat, he's done live records with Jay He's done Grammys with Jay because Jay also mixes the Grammy. It, like the confidence level is there so that they're not afraid of what they're going to sound like on television. Mm. And that's the important thing. The so the two guys already out of there. It's already gone. Yes. They already know. They're uh, like, I don't even think about 280. At this point, I don't know if we have any hurts left. We've that's taken right, so many that's out. Right. It all hurts. So, uh, so that is why. I mean, there's probably other reasons why I don't mix the CMAs, but but the the guys sitting in the chairs are there for a good reason. They have earned that. They seat know and that DM two thousand like the back of their they hand. They know the DM two thousand. You know, one of the the company that Jay owns uh, out of New York, Music Mix Mobile, co-owns uh, with a couple of buddies of mine. 
their one of their early trucks had a DM two thousand in it that I actually hired, the, and I recorded and mixed um, one of Smitty's live DVDs in uh, in on the DM two thousand. So see full circle back to the DM two thousand. It always comes back to that DM two thousand. Right. Now their trucks are all outfitted with Lavo consoles and. They're all surround, you know, it's surround. What about Fisher Price? No, you know what? They they leave the Fisher Price in the flight pack. I gotcha. Yeah. So that when Beyonce needs uh, you know, a flight rig, Fisher Fisher Price goes out the door. Um Well, I'm really so, curious about yeah. these four Grammy wins now. Oh yeah. Because I've I've got to go back to all scroll scrolling yes, up on the scroll, stock here. Okay. Did that you win for Beyonce or is that Yeah, Beyonce, definitely. Yeah. Well, sorry, and let me say so. Let me say this real quick, just to clarify. So, I am a Pro Tools op on the CMA awards. Okay. Awards. So, my job is to work with the mixer as they're rehearsing. I record all the rehearsals, and that way we can play back and fine tune the mix after the fact. So, uh, so that's kind of the role that I play there. Got it. Um, you got I've a, been doing it for like 10 years. You got a now. mouse and a screen in front of you. Got and... a mouse and a screen. Yes. Yeah. So that's the deal. Okay. So Grammys. Yes. Uh, so my four Grammys are for, uh, my first one was for Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Ooh, nice. Um, who I've done multiple records with. Um, and, uh, my second one was for Michael W. Smith, who I've also done obscene amounts of. We have made so much music. Uh, he was the first artist I ever worked with while I was still at college. Worked on his I'll Lead You Home record that came out in 1995. Did you Went go West, platinum. young man? No, that was I was in high school ah. when Go West came out. Uh, so, no, I didn't. So there was, after Go West, um, there was one record uh, in between that and when I met Smitty and, and it's not a bad place to just step into no, in your, not, you know, beginning production years, not I'm going to work with Michael place. B. Smith for a long time. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, and, and again, that was one of not just work, but mentorship as a human mentorship. You, you as, mentored Smitty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, he's come a long way. I'm really proud of, of, of the yeah, character I mean, building that we've done together. I feel together. like his yeah. career might actually make it at this point. Yeah. He's, he's on the bubble, but if yeah. he keeps working hard, yeah. If he just gets that I one hit, I think he will probably make it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, Smitty was the second one. Uh, the third one was again for Brooklyn Tabernacle on a different record, and then the fourth one was a was a Latin Grammy for an artist named Alex Campos. Nice. So, did you get to go to any of these Grammy awards? I did not go to any of them. Okay. No. Did you, no. Wait, what? You didn't no, accept? No, I on have the stage? never. No. So, for my role for engineer, I would not have been invited on stage anyway. The only time an engineer goes on stage is for um, album of the year. And best engineered album. So you're not not Steve Lillywhite. Yeah, you're not invited up very much. The producers get to go up more than the engineers do. But um, and and all of the awards that I won, they're the kind that are given away in the afternoon, not on the main award show. So you know, Blake, did you receive your Grammys on stage? Or I mean, I was at some ceremony where they gave me something on stage. Was it for TS? Yes. Yes. I was in the posse. That went on the stage and was like, hey, we're in a crew. I still feel like we're going to get sued for mentioning that story. Okay, so circling back to TS. Yes. 
um, and all this Focusrite gear. Yes. You, you are a Focusrite junkie, oh, are you not? Yes, I am. And you had you had a bunch of ISA series. Yes. Is the blue and yellow series, the blue and yellow and gray. That I actually had some sneakers. As, and as Blake uh, pronounced it, Isa. Yes, Isa. Go. Yes. Um, uh, you, you can't see my shoes, but I am a Nike Air Force One junkie as well. And so, you know, now you should be able to get some good Nike endorsements oh, for obviously. your show. Because They're actually just, paying for a sponsorship. Yeah, well, I episode. thought so. Yeah. So, yeah. so I custom built my, my but Air you're Force wearing Ones. an Adidas sweatshirt. So. Yeah. Well, my feet Ooh. are Nikes. My heart is Adidas. Oh, um, so Nike just took, <laughs> they took, took, a, their took, funding. <laughs> took a hit. Yeah. So I, I did make some, uh, some focus, right. ISA edition, uh, Air Force Ones that are gray and yellow and blue. Oh, that's and, fun. And they're pretty, pretty snazzy. Yeah. And were yeah. you not recently in an article about? I, I was. I, so I am a, um, I have had a love affair with Focusrite gear from the beginning of my career. Um, it's too right to be focused wrong. It, that's right. You can't be focused wrong. It's focused right for a reason. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the fast Focusrite history is, Sir George Martin, who, you know, sure, little, the Beatles. little Beatles group, yeah. you know, you've heard of them. Um, he, uh, he is Smitty, uh, mentoring them. Was yeah. He's that? one of the, he's the fifth Beatle. Ah, got it. He's, he is the fifth Beatle actually. Yeah. So, um, George Martin in the early eighties wanted, uh, a, a console built for him that would be just pristine and sonically brilliant and so uh, all of his studios that he owned had Neve consoles. So he went to Rupert Neve and said, hey, this is this is what I want. And it was a chance for Rupert to, you know, we revere old Neve gear and it's great. And, but it's but got a for sound. Yeah, for most of those designers, you know, a lot of it, you know, for them is frustration because, you know, they had to keep the accountants happy. And so what they wanted to do, they couldn't do because this component would be too much. And so... You know, it's funny, we revere some of these things, and a lot of those designers look at it and go, I'm proud of it, but I wish, if only, you know, they had a wish list. Well, so at the time, he created the Focusrite 110 module, um, which was a preamp and EQ that just had an extremely wide bandwidth and headroom, and it was beautiful. What Still, color was it? it? And it was the gray and blue and okay. and, and yellow. So yeah. the red series came later. But yes, we red series with gray, came. Blue, and red series came after that happened. So the original was uh, they were modules that would fit into the Neve consoles, but then they built just a handful of the Focusrite Forte console. Um which uh, they also had a version called the Forte Studio, which I got to work on a good bit at the Music Mill Studios in Nashville. Um, and it was the same console, just did not have dynamics on every channel, no gate and compressor on every channel like the big console. But the big one was over a million bucks you know, for the console. And this was in the, Hey, you have four yeah. Grammys. So that's right. No problem. Well, this was in the mid eighties where, you know, well, you only had two Grammys I, at that point. That's right. I, only had, I was just a baby Grammy winner. Um, and, and so at that point, these consoles were, were crazy expensive. They then extracted those modules out and put them in outboard gear. That became the first rendition of the ISA series with the 110s and the 115s 
followed by the 215. Then the Red Range came out. It was called the Red Range, which is what you love. The 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 anodized red uh, face plate. It's beautiful, beautiful color. Oh, it's yeah. gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And they sounded great. And they were a little bit more towards the older Neve sound in a lot of ways. Um, almost bridging the gap in between the the what is now vintage Neve and um, and the ISA, which still had a lot of Rupert's character in it. Um, no, but, Bob Clearmountain loved his Red Three. Yes, Red Three. So so everybody, you know, Red Three became a really the Lord Algies made the Red Three kind of the bus compressor of choice, um, and. And so then everybody and their brother wants to own one and and use it because it's got to make every mix magic. Well, it is a magical piece, but I I tell you, it won't make you sound like Clear Mountain or the Lord Algies. Those guys are special. Or Um, Smitty. Or Smitty, right. You can't. But I used my Red 3 on a lot of Smitty mixes, so there you go, you know. So Um, you can sound like Smitty a little bit. That's right. Just Just a a touch. Just a little bit. Touch of magic. So... um, so uh, fast forward to two years ago, and um, I kind of m- met the Focus Right guys because I was looking at doing this Dolby Atmos room, and they had an interface that I thought, okay, this could be a killer backbone for my studio. And so I approached them, and I just kind of told them how much I loved Focus Right gear, and I wanted to check this out. And so they were able to get one to me. And, uh, I fell in love with it sonically function wise, you know, everything. And then that began a great relationship with them to where I am, you know, one of their, you know, I'm a focus, right. Artist. Um, you're basically like Nike has Michael Jordan. That's right. Focus I am right Michael has Jordan. Rob Burl. I'm Michael Jordan yeah. for focus, right? That's in, exactly In all it. seriousness. Is that what it is though? Like you're kind of a brand ambassador? For yes, I am an ambassador. Yes. Uh, that is exactly what I am. Uh, I don't get paid. I'm not, this is not a paid endorsement. Uh, it's just, it was birthed out of my love for focus, right? Gear and being a champion, wanting to be a champion for what they're doing because they continue to, work to a level of excellence uh sonically with all their gear that i i just admire so yeah so you so get some kinda, free gear and then they get like i get a little bit of gear and uh, or a discount and and then i get to talk about what i what i already love about them there's nothing uh nothing is forced it's all organic oh, because no, no. i Look, this is yeah very but, common. right yeah. because yeah it's and it's yeah there is a lot of that uh a lot of that that people do is they're not the only company that I do or have done that for. Um, but all of those have been birthed out of my personal love for it. And, you know, it's like our deal with Fisher Price. It's just it's, that's it's right. our personal love. For you it. came to them and said, you know, that little telephone with the eyes that blink as it rolls across the it's floor. Got something special. Oh, shoot. I just aged myself out. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, so the Focus Right articles were um, were talking about both my passion for their preamps and EQs, and you know, kind of the history that I've had with them personally uh, for 28 years, uh, but also their new red range of interfaces, uh, which is what my entire the Scarlet, yeah, Scarlet is great. The Scarlet, the Claret. Um, those are kind of the 
prosumer lines, but they have so much of the tech from the top end. I have some of their smaller boxes too that I ha- I've had long before my deal with them because I'll use them if I have to go record a vocal somewhere, I have to go and I need a small setup. Uh, they're, they're bulletproof function wise and they sound amazing. And that's just, we worked with a number of it. churches that have plenty of red net gear. Yes. And yeah. And that's what my, that's and, what my gear is all the red net series, yeah, the red range stuff. and red net. Yeah. Um, it, it, it sounds great and it works, you know? I love that. I, I just, I love focus, right? Just from the look, I don't, yes. I couldn't do anything with it, but I was <laughs> you like, know nothing about what it does, but it's just right. so pretty. But it's, it's pretty. And I think that speaks to how well it's made. Can you make yes. something that is awesome and uh, beautiful? So. That, yes. And they can. So we end every episode with a tech takeaway. So I'm going to vamp for a little bit as I explain it to give you a second to think of yours. But essentially, this can be philosophical. This can be uh, technical. But something where, you know, every tech has their best practices. They've got their checklist. They know what they're doing. What's something weird, though, that you've just discovered from a moment? Maybe it's the 280 hertz. Um, But what's something where you were like, yeah, this uh, this is a thing that I love doing that makes my life better that most people wouldn't think of because you only stumble upon that strange alchemy through random things that come in life? Mm. That is a great question. Oh, thank you. I wrote it myself. I love that I didn't name it, but I wrote it. It isn't red, though, so... That's right. Okay, so I'm not... I refuse to be stumped here. Oh, that's okay. uh, Me and Toby can vamp for as much time as you need. Our producer is playing the Jeopardy theme as we speak, so... I don't know that we have the rights to that, but if we do, yes, let's play it. By golly, if I sing it, I mean, it's not your responsibility. I mean, you were a vocal performance major. I was, so so I could, yes, I could Alex Trebek this thing like nobody's business. Something Um, about fair use in there. Yes, there's something, yeah. As long as it's a sample of under 30 seconds, I think you're safe. Uh... Wow. Happy, you know, happy accidents are one of the best things in, uh, in audio period. And that's, that's across the board, whether you're in the live venue, broadcast venue, studio. Um, so let me, I'm going to speak in a general sense then and not specific because there's nothing coming to mind, but what I will say is the best way to have those things happen is to not get so set in your ways that the checklist or the the procedure is... Don't box yourself in with that, okay? You're not so, an airline pilot. Right. So we have, we have rules that need to follow, and we should always have our systems that will get us out of trouble. But... Be adventurous and and be aware that, uh, you know, if something hits you and go, oh, that's messed up, can I tell a story? Yeah, please. Okay, I'm going to tell a story. We love stories. Okay. So here's a story involving Michael W. Smith. I have worked with other people, believe it or not. Okay, so uh, in 2003, Smitty took me and his band out to California, and we set up for a week at George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch, what? which was basically heaven on earth. This is not your lie. Yeah, no, this is not my lie. This you is saved all true. this for the end on yeah, purpose. That's right. Saved it for the best for last. So 
And we stayed on the property for a week. I mean, they had bicycles with Skywalker license plates oh, that man. we Come would on. drive. It. Yeah, I have so many stories about this. All of the tech nerds listening to this right now are just like. Yes, yeah. So, you know, would see George driving into his office in his BMW 750 in the morning. And then his office had a library that looks like something out of Indiana Jones. And there were literally like the shrunken skull from Indiana's Jones and, and there were lightsabers. And I mean, these were the actual, you know, so it was, it was pretty great. In addition to that, they have one of the most advanced studios, you know, on the planet, we can both imagine. for film and music. Um, they brought us into one of their dub stages where they mix films and they had to shut all the screens off. We, you know, you're not allowed to see anything contractually, but they were mixing Finding Nemo uh, in that room at the time. But we were over in the scoring stage, which they built for recording huge orchestras, but we were just there as a rock and roll band to have some fun and spread out and just get inspired. So here's my happy accident story that I almost shut it down because I was thinking about what I should and shouldn't do. Um, because it was a massive room. I mean, this room was probably, I would say it was close to a hundred feet long, 60 ish feet wide. And we've just got, you know, we've got a guitar player, a drummer, a keyboard player, a bass player and, and, and a French Smitty. horn. That's right. French horn player. Yes. Me. I was playing in the control room. So it was huge. So in addition to miking instruments, we had to have mics up for talk back so that the musicians could hear themselves uh, in the headphones. So a typical setup for a talk back is to grab a microphone and jam it through a compressor um, so that it brings up the level if they're, you know, because they're not talking in it like we are. It might be eight feet away from them. Well, the talk back mic that I set up over where the guitarist and bass player were seated was actually a vintage Neumann 87, which is not what's usually used for talkback. Not for talkback. But at Skywalker, that's what you use for talkback because you can't. Yeah, they don't have 57s. That's right. And it was going through a vintage 1176 compressor because why not? You know, That's just cruel. Yeah. Most studios, you're putting an SM57 through a Behringer compressor and calling it a day, but this was Skywalker. Um, So basically what happened is I was in the control room, muting and unmuting that mic in between takes so that I could hear what they were discussing to see if I needed to change anything different. I'm just aware of the musical decisions. Um, Well, I was making a change and they had finished talking, but we weren't ready to roll yet. And Ray, the drummer, hit the snare drum and that thing exploded through the talk back mic. Through a U87, through, U87 1176. through an 1176 oh, that was probably amazing. about 30 feet from the drummer. Yeah. But but we also had set up some uh, some baffles in between the guitar station and the drummer. So it wasn't direct. It was the snare flying up into this massive room with 50 foot ceiling, 60 feet wide, the, the volume of you know, the cubic volume is huge. 
Not to mention the fact that I was able to change the reverb time of the room on every song because all of the panels on the wall and oh, ceiling man. were motorized. So I would change the reverb time of the yeah, room each song we recorded. But It's Skywalker. You do what you want. It's Skywalker. So he hit that, and, and I immediately was like, that is bonkers. So I asked the assistant engineer, route that to a, to a track, and we're printing this sucker top to bottom. So, so basically the initial reaction was to quick mute it until it registered in my head how amazing it sounded. And that sound became intricate to the drum sound on that record, uh, on the mixes. So I fun. used it heavily. So That is a happy accident. It was a happy accident. So for all our church techs out there, buy a yes. vintage U87 that's 1176, right. yes. put it 30 feet away from that snare that's drum right. put it in, in your church of- service. <laughs> That's going to work out real well. And it's if you don't have awesome. the budget for that, just continue That's to right. stay adventurous. Just, just right. call Uncle George. Yes. You know? yes. He'll well, come and, out of his office. And, you know, and things like that, when you are in a in a live situation, you know, you could take it to the point of, hey, just be aware before you by default gate your toms. Listen to what's happening when the snare jumps into the tom mics and hits the, the tom compressors. What does that sound like mixed in? Like maybe, maybe the gate's not the thing. Maybe you know, it, maybe the overheads are are important to the snare as as well. You know, the, the, there's a lot of ways that you can carry that. Just by going, I know what the safe place is, but I'm going to adventure and keep an open mind, not be afraid. So. Well, Rob, we really appreciate you coming on, man. That is a killer story. That might hold the title for best tech tech way for a long time. Uh, that's definitely going to be all time, like the Hall of Fame right when there. You said, fame. When you said, can I tell a story, I was like looking at time and I was like, eh, let's just say yes. And then you bust out Skywalker <laughs> yeah. Ranch. Everyone's still listening. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so just thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Thanks for listening. And hey, congratulations on Surviving Sunday. If you happen to make it through next Sunday as well, join us again for your weekly Tech Breather. Blake, I think I know what TS's favorite email subscription is. Do you? Oh, I have a feeling, but I'm going to let you tell me. I think it just might be the Church Gear early service list. Oh, it has to be. It has to be. Like, TS has to see all of Church Gear's best gear 48 hours before it goes live on our site. How else would she do all these amazing shows? I mean, I know that TS would go to churchgear.com slash early service and sign up today. Yeah, because if not, she'll never be able to do another great song. Would you almost say that we are 80% of her success at this point? I wouldn't go over 75. Okay, 75. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works.